Hi, everyone. This is Sports Council. I'm Matt, and I am here with my friends Vivek, G, Gav, and our new speaker, Dylan. How are you all doing today? Good. How about you? It's good. It's good. It's good. We just finished, I guess, our third year here in Santa Cruz. And we thought we would do a little bit of discussion here. We kind of decided to make a kind of round table here. And we're here to just talk basketball. And there's a lot to get into, I guess. You know, the start of the new season is coming along, right? It's like what? Yeah. Teams, right? Yeah. Oh, 22 teams. 22 teams are coming oh, back. Orlando. Yeah. It's a Disney World thing, right? Is it like just Disney World? Are they yeah, actually playing in Disney World or are they just calling? I think I – think- it's in Disney World, but they're not allowed to go on any of the amusement rides or any of the other stuff that's at Disney World. That's like strictly basketball, and they do have, I think, a few other like uh, pastime activities set up, like golf and stuff like that. But they don't have any like actual Disney World activities allowed. I think that's so weird. Wait, like, why not? I have no idea. I mean, I think that would require them to have workers and stuff there, right? Uh, I, mean, I don't. I wouldn't really trust like, <laughs> six hundred NBA players to just go on rides and stuff by themselves. No, just, let, just let LeBron like operate the thing. <laughs> Why not Kawhi? He's the fun guy. Yeah, that's true. He's got the too. He can operate the levers and shit. Oh Jesus! <laughs> I mean, honestly, this entire bubble idea it. It sounds pretty sus to me. I, I, what do you guys think about it? Because all it takes is one person for the entire thing to just fall apart. If one person gets COVID, then there's not a bubble anymore. I'm it's just kidding. like, is Rudy Gil- place needs to be quarantined. Is, are the Jazz in the uh, teams? <laughs> yes, of course. They're in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, and it, it just, oh, run it back. Yeah, it's not. I know, I know that uh, Kyrie Irving expressed um, the day of when we're recording this that he expressed that he actually is skeptical, skeptical of bringing the NBA back and is actually one of the few, well, one of the, I think they said 50 to 60 players that do not want the NBA to return. Um, another one of the players that's also said they don't want the NBA to return was Carmel Anthony. Uh, I think that's really interesting. I mean, I think if you look at the teams and players that are speaking out about it, like it makes kind of sense that they wouldn't want to risk their, you know, families and lives for a seventh seed or an eighth seed in the playoffs. But that's the same reason you don't hear a LeBron or a, a Kawhi Leonard or a Paul George speak out either. Do you think that they would just let them sit out then if, like, they didn't want to play? I think that's what Adam Silver has said, that they would allow any person that doesn't want to play stay at home. But that would be kind of – I feel like really- if your team is out there risking their lives, you know, I feel like you'd also want to, you know, do the same for your team, you know. I mean, look, like – I guess it's a question of like, are you going to let your teammates down if you're going to do this? But at the same time, it's literally you could have this terrible disease on you. But if it doesn't happen, right, you're letting your teammates down, right? I guess that's the question. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, bro. I don't want them to like start spraying again and then we have to wait another full year. That's true. Mm-hmm. And they're be like, like from a logistical perspective, right? It, it just seems very unfeasible to fully execute, especially as time goes on and there's bound to be someone that, you know, has the virus and spreads it asymptomatically. I feel like they said that they were going to be doing a lot of testing when players are coming into the thing before they even get there to make sure that they're not bringing anything with them. You know, obviously right. they're going to take a lot of tests because there's constant players and I guess they were allowed to bring uh, two or three members of their family with them, especially when more of it gets closer to the playoffs. So, so I think you gotta, that's a pick. You got to pick. Yeah. 
it's really I think it's really dangerous. But you know, if they're willing to do it, I mean, obviously, I'll sit at my house and watch. It's not going to take much work for me. Yeah, I feel like if they do continue this season, I don't think it's a good idea because obviously because of COVID. But I think we need to consider like mentally wise because yeah, um, you're playing away from your family. That's one thing, and with COVID being a pandemic and all that means that um you had to take extra pre- precautions when going to the arena yeah so, it won't be like they won't have the same focus anymore i feel like it's there's no fans either yeah, right? exactly there's no, no fans, fans right yes and the, the commentators will actually i heard will not be in the arena either that's oh a very that's... interesting concept of having yeah you know, so right people... now to follow up on that a little bit a tnt inside the nba with charles barkley you know chuck ernie Shaq. And the, and the entire gang, they're all going to be doing their commentary from the TNT studios in Atlanta. So everything's pretty much remote, except for the players and the essential workers that are going to have to, you know, run the entire operation, right? Because the NBA players are going to be quarantined in the hotel, but it's not to have people cleaning up the hotel every day, people that are there that are medical workers that help administer the tests and make sure that people are following safety protocols. Like from the top down, it's a very, uh, it's a very, logistically challenging operation to run, especially considering the scope of what they're trying to do and yeah. how safe they want it to be for the players over there. It takes one mistake to just have it all go down, right? Yeah, ask where you go there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and here's the thing, right? Like, we, we all appreciate the fact that NBA is trying to bring basketball back, right? The fact that they're trying to put safety centers in place and they're trying to think a few steps ahead of the game and try to anticipate a ton of scenarios. But honestly, if one player gets the virus in some way or some fashion, that's really all it takes for the season to be shut down again and there to be even bigger of a mess. And that means a really hurtful bottom line down the line for the NBA's revenues and their reputation, really, because this is a big risk they're taking reputation-wise in society. Yeah. And I don't think they're putting out a good like statement saying like, yeah, we're we're still going to play while there's corona. Like, why don't we just wait, simmer down for a minute? Because well, like, it, as soon as they're starting opening up places, like in a, I think they opened up Wash. I forgot. I don't really know where they opened up, but I know in those places that opened up again, like slightly, there are more cases. It like exploded again of course in those states. Of course so yeah, but it's like the longer you wait to open the season up again. Uh, basically, it's turning into next season. You know, it's already been a four-month four break from NBA, so that's even longer than most postseasons are for almost all the teams. So then you're looking at well, another month or two, six months off. That basically is the start of a new season. So considering considering it to be the same season as last would be at that point, I feel like a little drastic. And that's where you'd have to call the season and just say, all right, this season was just a fail, and we'd have to restart from next. You should just call it now because if you like, if, I mean, if anyone breaks it, right? Yeah. Look, today is like what game five or whatever the NBA finals, right? Exactly. So we're already that far out, and then they're gonna start what in like July thirtieth or something yeah, like that. Win the so, yeah, if one player breaks out and they have to cancel it all, you don't postpone anything. You just say it's over, right? Yeah, I do. I do agree with you. I think if it does break out again, or if a few players or one team or something gets it. They have to go at a point where they just got to call it. You know, they said we put our best foot forward and just have to give up on the season. Yeah, I totally agree with those points that the guys made. And I think something else that people have kind of have to grapple with is that 
I feel like by making the NBA come back in such a sudden timeline, especially given the recent unrest in our country, I feel like you're forcing people to choose people being the NBA players. They're forcing them to be to choose their team's well-being versus their own personal health and mental physical well-being. Mm. The fact that teams may want people to come over, right? Because, for example, what if LeBron didn't want to come back and play in Orlando? What would that be for his reputation? Would people blame him? Would the Lakers have an agenda or like some sort of vendetta against them because of that? There are like a lot of implications for players making an individual decision. And the implications of that choice that they have to make to come back to Orlando can be really devastating or harmful if they don't choose the quote right decision for their team at least from an optics perspective well okay look let's say let me pose a different kind of question though what if yeah. let's say guys like Damian Lillard who I think he already said he didn't want to come back right and then like a bunch of other stars they also said they didn't want to come back like Kyrie um I'm blanking honestly already but either way they don't want to come back and then LeBron and the Lakers basically steamroll everyone and win the title. How much of an asterisk is that already basically saying, oh, you only won because, you know, Giannis basically got COVID, right? That's a huge red flag, straight up. It depends. The thing is really case-dependent, I guess. Like, if, if, let's say, he does still beat the Bucks and the Clippers, I mean, there's only – even if everybody was healthy, you know, and nothing ever happened, COVID never happened, there were only three or four teams that were contenders for the championship. Let's, yeah. not, let's not start acting like the Trailblazers or the Nets even had a chance of winning the championship. So the way I see it is if, if there's three or four top-level teams and if those four or five teams are still playing, you know, why would it not, why would it not still be considered a championship? You know, it's not like Kawhi Leonard saying he's not going to play. It's not like Giannis is saying he's not going to play. It's, it's the players that are at the bottom that have more risk than reward. The thing is, like, with excuses, right? Every NBA championship, you could technically have fans or haters saying, basically, there's an excuse for it, right? The Raptors yeah. last year, no, no. the Warriors were injured, right? Or the Warriors in 2015, it's because Kyrie and Love were injured, right? Mm-hmm. I bet, I would bet all my money, basically, on some fans saying, oh, you know, the 2020 championship basically didn't count. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if you watch uh, Undisputed in the mornings. The Skip Bayless has already said that regardless of the winner of the championship, it's going to be considered an asterisk on it. Like, it'll never be considered a true championship. <laughs> so it's like, there's already people that are saying that, you know, it's not going to be continued. It's, it does, it's not going to be considered the same. So I think it's really dependent on the person. I feel like that is with the, like how it always is, you know. There are people that think the Raptors championship last year was legit. And there's people that said that they would have never, they don't really deserve it. You know, it's just all in your based opinion. I'm in the latter, by the way. <laughs> I think uh, this season is a huge red flag because, like, obviously during the regular season, you have like a full roster, including your starters and your bench. But I, I can't imagine if, if the season resumes, right? Why was your bench does not want to play and they focus on their self being? So you're basically left with only five players to play with during the playoffs. And also the fact that everyone's not going to play at their highest level during the, during the playoffs. There's so, got to be rest, right? right? Yeah. Gonna, I mean, there's players that are back in the gyms and stuff now, but, you know, that doesn't translate to NBA basketball, you know. It's pick up games against guys that are, you know, not in the league. It's not the same level right. of competition. The speed of the game is very different from, like, a gym level to an actual NBA hardwood court. And also another question that's really uh, – well posed by this entire situation is 
consider the fact that you may be a player on a fringe team, right? And if you were to come back and play in the NBA bubble once again, and if you were on a fringe team and you weren't like a title huh? contender a lot the Lakers, would it be worth it to actually go back into the bubble and self-isolate yourself for the next few months or however long it may be? I think for the vast majority of people, there isn't much of an incentive to really come back at the end of the day because they're A, playing in a more compromised situation, and B, it's not likely to be fruitful for you compared to, you know, if you were playing for an actual title contender, like what G was talking about with like the four actual teams that were considered to be title contenders like the Lakers or the Bucks or something like that. Okay, well, let me pose this part then. Maybe you won't win the championship because you're on a fringe contending team and you sit out. But yeah. let's say you're a free agent the next season, right? What if teams don't want to sign you because of your quote-unquote commitment to the team and your ability to just play ball under the circumstances? What if someone's team like uses it as a detractor against you? I mean, that I feel like that's just – I mean, I don't think – I don't know. You can – I think that could happen. Yeah, I feel like – happened wrong, but I think it could definitely happen. I mean, anything could happen. You know, you've seen a Celtics – basically trashed Isaiah Thomas's career after he gave up everything he had for them, you know? So I feel like at that point, anything's possible. But, you know, I feel like logically, I feel like teams would understand, you know, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing that's happening and can't really hold that against someone. Yeah. But I, I wonder if, like, an agent is posing that scenario into someone's mind. I mean, too, I feel like if you're a role player, yeah, then it, I feel like that's a big, maybe a difference maker between making 10 million and like 5 million, you know? They're True. like, okay, well, you know, how committed are you? You know, if like a person off the bench is like, hey, you know, I picked myself over the team and because I wanted to make sure I was healthy, that could it, be a big It's day. definitely a catch-22, right? Because do you choose your health and your well-being, being able to see your family, being able to maintain your sanity by not being in a bubble? Or do you choose having to further your career or, you know, be able to ensure that you get a contract from a team that can offer you some sort of stable income, right? For these players, they're, they're basically choosing between having the opportunity to maintain it, to be close to the people that matter most to them, as well as their own health, which is like, the ultimate uh, true meaning behind everything that they're doing versus, you know, choosing between earning money and getting a bigger, uh, bigger crowd of people to watch over them in terms of like teams trying to sign other players during the off season. Like if I was a French player, I would feel almost forced to go back into one of the 22 teams that I'm a part of and play in the playoffs because at the end of the day, the players are kind of a proving ground for a lot of players that have yet to break out and exactly. gain their that it's star power, attention, and money that they crave and deserve. It's an audition tape. It's an audition tape. It absolutely oh. is. And I think at the end of the day, you have to also consider that we, we do have a playoffs, right? But how integral and how much integrity is there behind the process of the playoffs if there aren't enough people around, if, there are all these red flags that haven't been properly addressed, it seems like. And if there are a growing number of players that have skeptical concerns about the bubble itself, should we really listen to the players at the end of the day? Or what should the NBA really do about that? Say, for example, and this is probably a question I'm posing to all of you, say that there's a sizable minority of people, people being players who don't want to come back into the bubble. What should the NBA do at that point? I mean, that's what I think they're going over right now. I think that's the problem they have. 
like there's 50 to 60 players that don't want to, you know, be out there that don't think it's safe. And I just, it's, it's just hard, you know, I think if, if that's a, a, a real concern that can't be addressed, you know, maybe there is some way that they can address their problems and be like, Hey, you know, we're going to take these safety protocols to make sure that everybody is okay and does make it out out of the bubble and comes into the bubble with no corona and everything's going to be okay you'll just be able to play basketball i feel like a lot of a lot of those 50 to 60 players will come back but if it doesn't get adjusted and maybe more problems come up you know i think that's where the nba is just going to have to call the season i think the nba should listen to, to the players because like the players bring in that revenue for for all organizations right so they deserve or the players should be able to ex- open a dialogue with the NBA. Well, it also goes back to like, again, the highest level of competition, right? You're it's once that playoff season starts, it's not going to be the same thing. And the thing is like the players are literally putting their bodies on the line. Look, they're the ones that should be able to decide like, Hey, I'm yeah. the one who has to actually go out there and play and maybe catch COVID. Why should I do it? If it's too dangerous for me, right? It's not, I don't care about your ratings. I don't care about your money that you're going to make. Like, this is my decision. It's my body. I should choose whether I want to play or not. And then if there's a majority, they should cancel the season. I'm sure I would feel different if I was a Warriors fan and we were still in the playoffs. But I will take the moral high ground here. All right. Well, I mean, <laughs> let, me, let me pose a hypothetical to you guys so we can maybe get into some more actual basketball. Let's say every team that is out of the 22 players all agree to play and are all in the bubble and mm-hmm. Corona doesn't affect going forward. What do you guys think of the format? And what do you guys think of who's in the win? I really don't care. <laughs> Honestly, like, as, again, I really don't know if I care enough as a Warriors fan. I do want to see basketball being played or not. But um, I don't know. I just don't kind of see it as a perfect format i think it's already tainted the season's already kind of going to be different and i don't think we're going to talk about whoever wins this championship i don't think we're going to talk about them as one of the greatest teams of all time one of the championship teams that we'll all remember it will be memorable for sure but it won't be the same what do you guys think that's an interesting question or like perspective that they pose because i ultimately believe that is that uh, if you follow that hypothetical, right, if every single player who was going to be in the playoff team ended up suiting up and playing, obviously there are going to be injuries on the line, right? So let's just assume that all the people who are available to play end up playing as part of those one of 22 teams. Mm-hmm. I feel like if you do conduct the same playoff format as usual in terms of like, you know, you have a series of games and then you do like a best of seven, which is usually what ends up happening. And I believe it's what the NBA's plan is going to be after we get past like the initial 22 teams and you filter like six or seven of those out at the very beginning, I think at that point that you can actually call the process to be pretty fair and pretty true to what the NBA season postseason would have been given there was no coronavirus. So I, I believe that if there were to actually be a champion that arises from this, then obviously there are going to be some sort of hiccups, right? You could make the argument that having a three or four month break severely affects like the momentum and the attitude of some teams and exacerbates the inequality, right? Because say, for example, that I was part of a team that didn't get hot until right before coronavirus, then 
after coronavirus happened, I wasn't able to play on the court and not lose all my momentum. But yeah. if there was a team that was really good before the coronavirus happened, like the Lakers or the Bucks, then, you know, it's not like they have a lot to catch up on because they were already the cream of the crop before. So mm-hmm. maybe if you go by momentum perspective, you could see that the teams that were already good before stay good, and the teams that were just about to be French playoff teams are probably not going to be just as effective as they were before, which I think is why the NBA acknowledged this by bringing teams like the Pelicans and the extra six teams into the fold. I mean, you, can't start, you can't start up the season without the, the NBA's favorite player, Zion Williams. Yeah, you know, exactly. the, min, the money maker himself. It was just for Zion. <laughs> just off the top. I definitely agree. It was definitely a cash grab to bring in Zion because he's yeah. just that type of guy to bring in, you know, eyes wherever he goes. Imagine, imagine this, imagine this scenario: that the Pelicans sneak into this eighth spot, and the first round of the playoffs is the Lakers, Pelicans, Zion versus LeBron. That is exactly what the NBA wants. They want the biggest stars against each other. You know? Exactly. It sounds like an NBA executive's like dream honestly like the dream scenario is just having the Zion <laughs> versus LeBron and then you can already see like on ABC yeah, sports you can see the segments sports talking center, about the, the young the, the, goat versus the, yeah. the current goat and they just do like 50 minute like documentaries before every single game talking about them and comparing the two and every analyst just talks about the comparisons a ton talking about how Zion's like this young LeBron could be better <laughs> Like, we've already seen this so many times and we're talking like we're so jaded about it. he's only played know it's true. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's a great player, obviously. And he's, he has the potential to be an all-world player. But it's clear that people just want clicks and want attention. And that's what the NBA kind of cashed in on by bringing in the six extra teams that they did. Do you think that was actually why they did it? Do you think, like... I'm not gonna like. I don't know uh-huh. actually why they wanted to bring them in, or do you think they just wanted to bring them in as like kind of fodder? Well, like, to answer your question, Matthew, I definitely think that that was a very formidable reason as to why. Right, more teams equals more publicity equals more fan engagement, which is what the NBA really needs in this time, mm-hmm. where a lot of franchises have been affected severely by the economic downturn of COVID. But I also think that it was in part due to an argument that I made before, which is the fact that teams that previously had a lot of momentum going in in a pre-COVID era were now not able to capitalize upon it. Like the Pelicans and the Kings got pretty hot and the Grizzlies got pretty hot too. And there were like four teams fighting for that eight seed playoff spot before the COVID ended up happening. So I think the NBA kind of gave them the benefit of the doubt by saying, okay, you know, you guys are pretty good, all things considered. And you guys deserve a shot to play in a playoffs format. So we're just going to bring in an expanded playoffs format with all of you guys included. So, so you think yeah. it's like give them a fair chance then? I essentially think that's what's happening over here. Because it would be unfair for a team to suddenly do well and not, you know, be able to make the playoffs because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to think about, like, we talked about Zion, right? Yeah. There was some talk... There was not a lot of it, but there was some talk of Zion potentially winning Rookie of the Year, even though the dude missed a lot of games, right? <laughs> it goes back to that well, Joel Embiid. Um, ben Simmons. No, it's, yeah, kind of Ben Simmons, but like Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid versus a lot Malcolm of Brogdon. Yeah, Malcolm Brogdon, yeah. The most forgettable Rookie of the Year, I think, in recent history. <laughs> um, I think Michael Carter-Williams wants to have the uh, <laughs> <laughs> True, he did. Oh, 
But the so argument so, was that like he's so forgettable. You just forgot about him right now. That's true. That's true. Like, don't you remember what team he was? <laughs> is he on a team? He is on I a team. He's on the Hornets. 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 Jesus. Jeez. So the most forgettable team. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Either way, right? Embiid played only like 20 games in his rookie season, but he played a phenomenal like 20 games or whatever. But Brogdon still won because he had all the games. He played all the games or whatever, right? It's the same argument with Zion versus Ja, right? Ja yeah. played almost all the games, but Zion in the games that we saw him in completely flashed. It's true. Well, let's let's not let's not disrespect Ja here. Where he no, was no, flashing no. this whole season, unlike Malcolm Brogdon, who had a a solid like overall season, but where John Moran has done something that other young players have failed to do, which is lead the team to the playoffs. You know, mm-hmm. there's players out there like Zach Levine, uh, Devin Booker, Cat. You know, a bunch of these young players that are unable to even compete for a playoff spot, and Ja just comes in as a rookie and leads his team to the eighth seed. You know. And that's a lot. That's a lot to do. That's even in, really especially impressive. in the West, you know. Especially in the West, yeah. Yeah. So if you're looking at that, you know, I don't see how you can't give it to him. You know, maybe if Zion played 20 more, 30 more games, then it's a different discussion. And maybe if he was winning more, you know, he's not. He he's not even really shooting threes that much. He's mostly shooting dunks or shooting layups and sh- making dunks. It's not like his game is all worldly. It's like it's it might be down, later down the line. It's just a flash, you know. It's the name that's really what Zion's all about right now. I yeah. completely agree. And I think that also something to consider is that the Pelicans on paper are a much better team than the Grizzlies were coming into the season. You have guys mm-hmm. like J.J. Redick, Brandon Ingram, who was an all-star this year, Alonzo Ball, Drew Holiday. Yeah, These are all players that have acquired a significant amount of buzz. And the Grizzlies still have Jaron Jackson Jr., who is a very good prospect, and I think is actually very underrated by many people in NBA circles. But, you know, they weren't expected to be in this position this year. People expected the Grizzlies to be a contending team two or three years from now, not this quick as Ja is a rookie currently. Yeah. But what I think I wanted to say is, like, Let's say the momentum in the regular season. Zion was starting to get momentum. Do you think that basically now that coronavirus has happened and now the season's delayed, let's say the original regular season played out, mm-hmm. who would you see winning the Rookie of the Year? And now it's still Ja. It's still Ja. I would yeah. as well. I, I would say it'd have to be Zion if the Pelicans had made it into the playoffs, which they looked like they were about to. Mm-hmm. They were trying to contend against the Hawks for it. I think they're about the same. The place. Hawks are. Uh, the East, right? Oh, I yeah, mean, fucking, East. what was it? Oh, fuck, my bad. Is it the uh, Pelicans? No, oh, Pelicans. And there's another ah. team. There's a, no, there's <laughs> the, Grizzlies, the Grizzlies are in the eighth right now. Yeah. I think Jaw deserves the um, oh Rookie of the Year more than Zion. Just because he played more games than... What, that you can't hold that against him. I mean, Wait, Zion was... If like, you think about it, it's like... Well, I mean, the, the word... I mean, if you can look at the recent NBA, all-star selections, MVPs, it's always been about your team success, including just your stats, you know? And even though... You know, like like Vivek said, the Jerseys have less talent on paper than the Pelicans, you know. And, yes, obviously Zion didn't play the whole season. But, you know, it's not like they shouldn't have still been competing for the eighth seed without or with or without Zion. They're still a great team, you know. So they should be able to be in that discussion. And for them to be not in the eighth seed and for, you know, them to be – I think they're at the 10th right now behind the Trailblazers and the Grizzlies. So, I mean, you can't really – hold that against Ja, who's balled out all year, you know? 
yeah, I think in my opinion, at least, Shaw has been the best player on the biggest surprise team of the NBA. Uh, I don't know if they're the biggest surprise team. Well, I would say that in terms of surprise teams, the Grizzlies were definitely not expected to be where they are this quick. Yeah, but you could also – I my, my, my surprise team, if we're going to go down this road, would be the Oklahoma City Thunder. Obviously, I'm a very biased Chris Paul fan, but you, you can <laughs> – you could, they, I think there was a, a ESPN stat that said they had a 0.1 chance of making the playoffs, and now they're a solid fifth seed in the West. That's higher actually than, a good point. Higher, higher than Chris, Paul, Chris Paul's former team with the Rockets, who have Russell yeah. Westbrook and James Harden, two all-star max contract players, and with, oh, with three-point guard-led team with Dennis Schroeder, Shia Gilgis-Alexander, obviously Chris Paul. They have been playing, you know, out of their minds. and. Great coaching from Billy Donovan. And, you know, I think this just comes to show you, you know, what buying into the team and not tanking can do. Now, I agree. The thing is, let's say, first of all, yes, I think you're right. Chris Paul and I think the Thunder, I thought people, everyone thought they were going to be tanking, right? They traded both Westbrook and George, right? So everyone thought they would be tanking. They got all these first-round picks, yes. Now, I want to pose the more controversial question here. Is it... They are the fifth seed in the West. Do you think that Russell Westbrook was the problem in Oklahoma City Thunder? I, I, I honestly do think so. And I'm going to give you multiple reasons why. I am, I am <laughs> not a Russell Westbrook fan. And I, I can tell you that straight up. So maybe my answer is biased. But if you look at the way he plays, he, he plays hard. And no one can take that away from him, which is obviously what Russell Westbrook's thing is. But he does not fit today's style of game. He shoots this year, I think, is the lowest percentage from three at like 22%, which is for He's, players that are valid for that three-point stat, he is the worst in the league. That's like uh, level. Yeah, that's terrible. That's centers level. That's guys like Rudy Gobert level, you know, that don't even shoot threes. That's what Russell Westbrook has turned into, you know. He is one of the best players at attacking the rim. But, you know, when playoff basketball starts and you look at the teams in the West, each of them has a shot-blocking center, you know, that can help on that type of offense, you know. And then you look at what was on that team. If we go back all the way to Kevin Durant days, you know, there's been multiple sources that have said, even though it's not confirmed, that Russell Westbrook was one of the big reasons KD left, you know. If you look at that series in 2016 against the Warriors, up 3-1, Russell Westbrook had three bad games back to back to back, you know. And then you look at the season after that, he had his great triple-double season, right? Mm -hmm. But just to go out and lose first round, goes back the next year and then tries to outplay Damian Lillard and then gets absolutely murdered in five games, you know. So it's like you got to look at the talent that was there. You know, you had Paul George. You know, people. Oladipo before that, and and Oladipo before that, and then KD before that. So it's like you play with all these superstars, you know, and you're not even getting out the first round. And then when you were with Kevin Durant, you forced him out of Oklahoma. So it's like, I feel like his play style and his mentality is the problem. I give it to him that he plays hard, but it's just that you know, just because you're putting up great numbers does not mean that translates to winning playoff basketball. Yes, he can win regular season games, but when it comes down to playoff basketball, a rookie Donovan Mitchell was able to beat him, you know? so I agree with that, but I also do think that Russell Westbrook 
has largely fixed a lot of the narrative issues surrounding him with this time in the, with the Rockets. You know, he stopped shooting threes. He started attacking the rim more. And there was even a point in time where he was carrying the Rockets this season when Harden was in a bit of a slump around mid-January mm-hmm. to early February. And I do agree with you that I think that Russell Westbrook's departure was mutually beneficial to both parties. Yeah. Because Russell Westbrook, he is a larger-than-life figure to OKC. He meant everything to them, especially after they, were, they felt betrayed by Kevin Durant's departure. And so I feel like he had too much of a license to really do whatever he wanted on the court. And I largely felt that he wasn't really being coached by Billy Donovan. It was rather Billy Donovan who had to pretty much adjust his entire game's plan around Russell Westbrook. I think the best way to look at it is if you look at Steven Adams, right? Who is a, a, I would say, an average to decent basketball player. He's not, you know, an exceptional all-star level player. He's right below that. He does his role very well. But before Russell Westbrook, he's never averaged more than, I think, eight, nine rebounds. And first season without Russell Westbrook, he's at 11-12. You know, so that's like the little things, you know, it's like, great, Russell Westbrook was getting you 11 rebounds. But what does that really mean when he's also getting you five turnovers a game with 25 percent, three point percentage, you know, in t- today's league where all that matters is three point shooting. It was the biggest thing for each looking at each player, you know. But right. I mean, let me pose you guys a question. How far do you guys see the Rockets going? Do you do you think I think if the playoffs started today, they'd be playing the Nuggets. Do you think that you guys think they could beat the Nuggets? Oh, yeah. They oh, yeah. Beat the Nuggets. yeah. Have you seen? Yeah, I, I disagree with you. I actually disagree with that, too. What? And, here's, and okay. here's why. I think that the Rockets, their fundamental problem is that they're a bit too shallow of a team compared to a team like the Nuggets. And even though the Nuggets have been struggling all year, they have a better game plan. and they have, they have a better system. They have a way better system, too, most importantly. And they have better overall. I mean, they Westbrook and Harden are obviously the two best players on the court. Maybe you can argue Jokic is better than Westbrook at this point. But even then, like, at the end of the day, it's about how well you execute a system. And the Rockets and their defensive woes have only been exacerbated after uh, Capella was traded away. And so you're basically just playing again with two offense-heavy systems. The Nuggets love to pass around the ball. And the Rockets simply love just to ISO all day. I think that at the end of the day, the team that may go furthest uh, will be the team that plays the system much better. Unless a guy like Harden is able to go absolutely nuclear and just single-handedly carry the series. No, I think it would be really do. interesting because, like, you got two guys that over this four-month break have lost so much weight that they could be a different player with all the weight they lost, you know? With Harden, or who now. looks a lot skinnier, and then Jokic, who looks like he's anorexic now. But, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, you don't know how that could impact their games, you know? Harden's whole thing was being a strong, tough player. You know, does he lose some of that with losing a lot of his weight? With Jokic, he a lot of a point guard, you know, facilitating from the top of the key play. So does that doesn't his game doesn't really change that much? But a lot of the problems that Jokic has with with stamina and being able to play long term in back to back games and back like in long like periods of time. So does that help the Nuggets in the long term situation where if you're going seven games in a short-term indoor bubbles environment you know that's what you got to remember this is not going to denver going to houston day games off and days off in between they're probably going to be more back-to-back games in the playoffs and there's probably going to be you know no type of home court which probably hurts the nuggets you know one of the better home court teams i but, just realized that court advantage is gone mm-hmm. I feel like that's uh, so good because they're home court because you have like the elevation with like 
fuck up like other teams. So yeah, they, yeah. So, but isn't that basically why then the Nuggets yeah, aren't going to do as well? But, but you guys, so who's up, who, who on the Rockets is guarding Jokic? PJ Tucker's not guarding uh-huh. him. Well, Robert Covington's not guarding him. Just put two on him. Don't worry. Put two on him. You got zero defenders on that team. Can you just leave like Jamal Murray or Gary Harris open to the back door? Take him. Sure. Who? Tucker. Tucker? You could just take Tucker him. can't guard him, man. He's so much Tucker. Have you seen Jokic now now? Dude, Jokic looks so crazy Jokic is different talented, now. Though. He is uh, good. Uh, okay, but Jokic you have two more talented players on the Rockets team, then. The That's Cardinals. not true, though. What is, well, James Harden, I would agree, would probably still average 30, 35 points, okay? Oh, but easily. Always, he's always done that. But that's not that, but that whole, always hasn't led to wins, you know? If you look at, what, the last two years, you know, on the Rockets, when James Harden has been – most of James Harden's playoff career, uh, well, I think it was four years ago, when he got blocked by Kawhi Leonard or Manu Ginobili for a game-winning oh, shot, and he choked. And remember, yeah. I don't think I don't I don't know if you guys remember where a lot of people were like, "Why has James Harden thrown this series?" You know, he looked like he wasn't even in it. He wasn't even shooting shots. And then there was what two years ago against the Warriors, where Harden with Chris Paul out led a Rockets team to shoot miss twenty-seven straight threes. And then there was last year. <laughs> where, when he, you could go on about James Harden playoff woes and Westbrook playoff woes. So I just feel like combining two players who weren't really good in playoffs does not make them good in playoffs. But also on the flip side, to play a devil's advocate over here, people have said that James Harden's playoff woes have been largely centered around the fact that he's been overused during the regular season. Now with this break coming in, how do you think that could affect this play coming back into the season straight from like a three-month break? I think it's um... – because Harden, he goes on momentum too, right? Cause yeah. w- because of the three-month break, I don't think he's going to be able to put up those big numbers. And also, how what I noticed when he plays during the playoffs, it's always him first putting up the numbers, right? right. He, if, even if he gets his, how much does that impact the overall game is what my question would be. He gets 30, 35. Maybe he's skinnier now. He gets 40. Does that really – translate to them winning he's still going to get four or five turnovers Westbrook gets four or five turnovers and then you have a Nuggets who are a solid defensive team one of the better defensive teams in the league and who have so much height on the other team they have Jokic they have Paul Millsap they have Jokic (laughs) okay but wait basically look the Rockets aren't slouches here though and gee, it's so weird. Like you're a Rockets fan. I don't get it. I'm not a Rockets fan. I'm a Chris <laughs> Paul fan. No, no, don't no. See, see, I was a Rockets fan when Chris Paul was here, and okay. I'm not. A, I'm always been a Chris Paul fan. But so you happen again now? I, I, I guess so. I mean, I he's been playing great for them, but you know, he's always been just. I've always been just a more of a Chris Paul fan, if that makes sense. Okay, but look, like the Rockets aren't searches, like. The only times they've been eliminated in this, like, new kind of Mike D'Antoni era, I guess, is when um, the Warriors were there. It was the, when the Warriors, Warriors weren't even there last year. There were half the Warriors playing. But it's still the Warriors. <laughs> no, it wasn't. That, it wasn't the Warriors. The, War, the Warriors is – the Warriors was KD, Curry, Clay, and Draymond. Last year, what, Curry was out a few games. Curry no, played, Curry, like, shit yeah, in game seven or game six, and KD was out. So how was that the Warriors? Look, the Warriors won the first three games, and then KD got hurt. Well, he got hurt midway through the third win, right? And then they won that last game. And then, and then Curry was hurt too, and they got absolutely murdered by Clay Thompson. 
Game yeah. six. Game six. <laughs> game, game, game six. six play. Play, man. Love it. Love Never it. Forget. But the thing is, I feel like the Rockets are just, I don't know. I haven't seen too much of them this year. And I get that the super small ball lineup that they have is very bad match against like the Nuggets. But you got to understand like the Rockets are still the Rockets. They are still dangerous. And I have faith in them that they can actually win at least one playoff series. They always have. Uh, I I don't know, man. I I have absolutely no faith. I've watched as guy that I I watched I watched all the Rockets games for the last two to three years while Chris Paul was there. And you know, like when they're on, they're the best team in the league. When they're hitting those threes, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, when Eric Gordon, James Harden, and you know PJ Tucker, they got Robert Covington, all these shooters. You know, and when they're hitting, they're hitting. You know, they they can't miss. But the thing is, the chances of that happening compared to them just missing a lot of their shots and shooting poor percentages, I feel like the latter half is more probable, you know? It's more percentage of hope they've been in the playoffs, just, you know, choking away a big moment when it mattered most. Yeah. I think the thing about the playoffs is that great players not only just put up great stats, but they show up in big-time situations. We all expect exactly. good numbers out of James Harden, but can we translate that to wins and series? And the track record hasn't been very strong. And meanwhile, the Nuggets have won several clutch moments during the past two years, you know. They had to beat out Minnesota to get that playoff spot. And then and they then, beat the Spurs in seven with a, a great series by Jokic, you know. So, I don't know. The way I see it is, you know, obviously these matchups aren't due to change due to the eight games, like, I don't know, exhibition series they're going to have before. You know, they could end up being a three seed. They could end up being a seven seed probably, you know. You know? But – I just feel like all out of all the teams in the West, I do not have much belief in the Rockets. Jesus, I mean, if it's if you're okay, let's go back to like the, the the Rockets versus the Nuggets. You know, so like they're both cold right now. They're still new to like, and we already know that the Rockets aren't like the good as good as a system as the Nuggets are. So what? And they rely on their stars to carry them through. So what? Like it's going to be harder for the Nuggets to um, get their entire team going together as a cohesive group after a couple months of not playing basketball together. Because you know how they're usually coming in to the playoffs having had, like, a hot streak. They're all together. They're all cohesive. They have they, – they know the ticks. They know everything. Mm -hmm. The Rockets – Fair point. The Rockets only need one of their players, one that's of their star players to go off. That's and true. it's over. It carries them through. That is, that's a good that's point. Like, you, don't know how, you don't know how the break could impact any team, yeah. though, you know? Some teams could come out – absolutely fantastic from this break and others could come out really cold i mean that's that's kind of an impossible thing to predict you know though well that, that, that's why i give the rockets a greater chance because it depends on how good the team plays together so you're saying basically you, you only need to rely on one player to go yeah to be like back and yeah. like hot only one, yeah and compared to a whole team compared to a whole team that's like cohesive as a group yeah and executing a system well enough to get you there that does make That's a lot true. And I think also playing the devil's advocate, Hero Ball has been enough to put away the Nuggets in the past. You know, when they played against the, the Trailblazers last season, Lillard and McCall immediately put that team away. But it really depends on two things, right? The, the biggest factor that they see going for the Nuggets is that the Rockets don't have anyone at all to deal with the size of Jokic and Mason Plumlee as well as their really oversized front court compared to the Rockets' front court, which is honestly basically just a bunch of throwaway guards. 
Damn but, <laughs> what? <laughs> He's still or Tyson Chandler. Let's go. Oh my God, Tyson Chandler, baby, defensive player of the year. <laughs> was he a two-time? He was two-time, right? I think so. Once on the Mavs, once on the Knicks, right? Dude, I'm pretty sure that Tyson Chandler's career itself is longer than Zion Williamson is as a person at this point. So if yeah. you're going to rely on him to get a dub, I'm really concerned about that. But I will say that Harden and Westbrook, they have shown flashes of hero ball, but they, the Nuggets, the Rockets can only win this series consistently if there's consistent hero ball from Harden and Westbrook. Like if they go let, me, let, me, let me ask you guys a question then, right? You, yeah, guys sure. rely, you said you guys rely on James Harden and Russell Westbrook's hero ball. Name one time in the playoffs either of them have been able to successfully play hero ball. In the playoffs? In the playoffs. <sighs> In a whole series, they have been able to play some hero ball. I have never seen Westbrook, Westbrook do that. Harden has always either, whenever he's won series or ones he's supposed to win, and the ones he loses or the ones he's supposed to lose. In the sense yeah, that honestly. he makes it out the first round. Maybe sometimes, you know, like what, what he made the Western Conference Finals twice with the Rockets now. Once before CP got there and then two years ago against the Warriors. Are you asking for a whole series, or are you asking for one game? I'm asking for a a game, or maybe tell me a game where James Harden dropped 40 or 50 and just put his team over the top in in Game 7 or Game 6. You know, he he just doesn't have those type of games in the playoffs. He he just hasn't, He does does great against the Magic in the regular season or against the the broken-down Warriors or something, you know, like, but he doesn't do it when it's prime time, all eyes are on you. That's what I always see the problem with James Harden. The only instance I can think of was in 2015. So it doesn't matter. It mixes it up. They have a chance now. They don't have like the everyone booing them, you know, because like how they (laughs) react to the fucking crowd. So like that that, like distraction that they have, and they can go laser focus. And if I was gonna bet on one game, with it's like because you know how they're coming out fresh. Mm -hmm. If I was gonna bet a game, okay, maybe I don't know. Maybe I'd even bet the series. If I was to bet, I would still choose. I can't believe. I would. I, okay, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie, bro. I would take almost every other team in the West over the Rockets, bro. <laughs> give me the Lakers. Give me the Clippers. Give me the Nuggets. Give me the Thunder. Give me the Mavs. Give me anybody other than the Rockets. I have no trust in them. I have no trust in two guys that have pl- proven nothing. Like, by they, they they can do. Like you talk about James Harden, but James Harden has been time after time showed up short. You see, they could, he could, but let's talk about what has happened. And he has showed up short in almost every big playoff series he's had, every play, big playoff game he had, he's shown up short. I kind of agree with G because, like, based on the history of the Rockets, I mean, obviously Harden has a real has really great regular season stats, right? But when it comes down to playoffs, he always gets hounded by the opposite's team best defender. Like, I can pull up, like, for example, the Warriors when. They went against each other, like, during the second round of the playoffs. He either gets um, defended by either Clay Thompson or gets switched into Andre Iguodala. Yeah. And that, and it takes a lot of energy just to get around them. And with them, it, because of them, it makes him play a little bit worse because he gets even more tired than before compared in the regular season. And, and on top of that, if you double James Harden, you leave the rest of the three Rockets plus – their center Westbrook to beat to beat the Nuggets. I'll take my my chances on the Nuggets. You double you double Harden. You put Jokic in the paint or Paul Millsap in the paint. 
to stop Westbrook. You know, you got to rely on P.J. Tucker and Rocco threes to win a game. And we've seen that even but game seven when P.J. Tucker was absolutely a no-show in that series. Eric Gordon, who went one for like 11, you know, they're not – you can't rely on them. That's why That's they, the don't, they don't have a – They just don't fall every night. And also, like, don't fall every night. That's the thing. Don't. A system works every night, though. A system of playing great defense and, you know, running an offense and having plays to run and stuff, not just calling ISO every play. That's a system. Is- like, if threes were just the only way to win a championship, then the Warriors probably would never would have lost a championship, honestly. All it takes is a system to really right. cause more fallibility. That's, that's the thing. The difference between the Rockets and the Warriors, I felt like, always was – the system, there's a system in Golden State of, you know, we're going to run off-ball screens. We're going to have a free-flowing offense with great defense, you know. The Rockets have never been a great defense, and now they've taken a couple steps back even more by losing the only shot-blocking person they have on their team. And it's also, like, I need I think about, like, what does, as you get what you said earlier, like, what is – the Houston team has to offer other than James Harden, right? Yeah, but you keep looking at the past, okay? This is right <laughs> now. It's still the same. Okay. The coronavirus gives us time. doesn't make them change who they are as people. James Harden's not going to come back and become the most clutch player in the NBA. Depend, like, the system is the system, right? Their system is ISO, right? And then but if it, you don't, you kick it out to all the three players. I get what everyone's saying, right? Because they don't have – they run the same system back every single time, but now they just switch up the different players, right? They just put Chris Paul, they replace him with someone even worse somehow, Russell Westbrook. Because right? Westbrook, somehow. he only, his only offer is to drive. That's basically. Drive, drive or pull up for a mid-range. You know, he does it very well, and he, he leads the league in points in paint. But, you know, every, if you know what happens in playoffs, playoff defense is different. The, the, the defense is closed down. They play harder defense. It's not the same type of game. You're not at a fast pace. You know, we've seen this happen multiple times before to Westbrook. He's played lower to his regular season standards in playoffs. He took 41 shots to get 40 points in game seven against the, the Jazz two years ago. And, like, what is – um who is it? Eric Gordon offer other than three-point shooting. I don't – I think his defense is decent, right? No, he offered yeah. good defense. Yeah, that was his prime strength back in the day. Then P.J. Tucker, I'm pretty sure he doesn't really offer a lot other than his shoe collection. The sneaker king, P.J. Tucker. I need the season to happen now. I think Screw it. All that old conversation, no, it doesn't matter. Like, We're going to have a season I now. think people are more know, know P.J. Tucker for his shoes based on, like, watching Complex. Yeah, he's, he's, they say he's a good defender, bro, but I, I remember watching just Kevin Durant get bucket after bucket after bucket on him, man. That shit hurts. Like honestly, I think that PJ Tucker people see it's good on defense because there's an asterisk, right? Consider the fact that he's six six and he's guarding like power forwards and centers that are usually like three or four inches on him. And people will say he does a pretty good job, all things considered, you know. But yeah. at the end of the day, at this point that you guys bring up about ISO, honestly, I believe that in general, this may be controversial, but ISO is just a terrible strategy itself for the playoffs. There's only two people I've successfully seen pull off ISO at the highest level, and that's been Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard. I haven't seen ISO really work to a very successful degree in the modern NBA besides those two instances of those two people just popping off. But talking about Kawhi Leonard, the the real reason his ISO worked back last year was they could back that up with top two, top three defense. 
you know, you can play ISO if you're going to go out and lock up the other best team. Kawhi Leonard was taking ISOs, but then he was going out and locking Giannis on the other side, locking Ben Simmons or locking Joel Embiid, whoever you put him on, you had them clamped. So that's the difference, I feel like. The Rockets, they go ISO, but then they give up a bucket on the other end. You can't, you're not going to win trying to outscore the other team by shooting threes, you know? Exactly. It's just like filling up water only to just pour it out the next possession. You're just paying a game of balance every single time. But the way that you win an NBA game is that you build up a lead and you never let go of the comparative advantage that you acquire. And that's why defense is so underrated, I feel, among casual NBA fans. Like, a team where you see really good ISO players, they also tend to have very good defensive uh, schemes in the past. Like, when Katie did all this ISO stuff in 2017, in 2018 against LeBron and the Cavs, he was able to basically carry the Warriors a lot on the offensive end, all while just basically being able to switch out amongst Cavs players. And same thing with Kawhi too. The Rockets had easily one of the best defenses of all time during the playoffs. Their, their versatility, the fact that they're able to basically switch between one and five with all of their players is really underrated and played a huge role in their success that season. The thing I is... The Raptors had a defense that did basically the what the box defense, right? On box Curry, ran a box and one, yeah. One, so that basically, and look, Kawhi was a huge part in that defense. They don't call him the claw for nothing. Like he did a lot of that defense, but at the All same, right. time, the Warriors didn't really pose much of an offensive threat other than Curry, which allowed them to change a lot of their things. All right, well, if we're going to talk about the best player in the world, Kawhi Leonard, does anybody disagree that he's going to win the championship again this year on the Clippers? I completely I, disagree. I, wow. I, I think this probably leads us to our ultimate debate of the night, which is who do you think will win the playoffs at the end of the day? I Now you heard me say it. I got the Clippers. You got the best player in the world, Kawhi Leonard, who has shown in the playoffs he's a different player. Other than James Harden, who goes backwards, just to make Kawhi in the playoffs takes massive steps forward. And he's the only player in the league that can go out and get you 30 while still guarding the best player on the other team. And he's shown to be super effective defensively against the best players. In 2014 against LeBron on the Spurs, played exceptional defense on him. And last year against Giannis, who you consider maybe one of the other top three players this year, played absolute great defense on him. And now you partner him up with another, probably the second best perimeter defense defender in the league in Paula George. So you got two of the best defenders in the biggest test in the league in Patrick Beverly with the top five coach of Doc Rivers. They have, I think, a better system than the Lakers, who I would put the second best team in the NBA right now. Well, I think that overall the Lakers don't have as good of a bench as the Clippers do. Mm-hmm. On paper, at least. Is that and what you think, Vivek? The Lakers or the Clippers? I would say that at the end of the day, I would choose the Clippers. Because the Clippers, even though they pretty much have been kind of tanking the regular season, as is kind of tradition tanking, these days. Tanking, but the, their second season, their second seed. Their second That's seed. That's what I'm saying. But it's like, like tradition with all these Kawhi teams, right? He basically takes, like, a lot of games off and a lot of plays off in regular season. But they right. absolutely show up during the playoffs. Exactly. And I think yeah. that at the end, you know... It's gonna. I definitely think that if we f- pretty much follow this through, I think that there will be some the Lakers and Clippers basically be like the real finals in my it opinion. Will be, of course, I and can, I it's the, gonna the, be the close for sure. The Lakers have definitely been a lot better than I expected in terms of like their intangibles and you know having players contribute 
the bare minimum of what they need to, along with AD being very good this season. But point guard LeBron is something defense, to be reckoned with. Playoff LeBron is a very impressive player, and we all have definitely known that. But still, I think that the Clippers have a better defense, and defense really wins championships in my mind. If you're able to slow down the other player a little bit more, then it leads to more momentum. You're not going to be able to stop LeBron in the playoffs or Anthony Davis, but it's about limiting them, you know? And there's no better player that can do that than Kawhi Leonard. And then they have big big men that can kind of match up to Anthony Davis, you know? Anthony Davis hasn't been, you know, a playoff experience type of guy. He's only made it to the second round one time in his Definitely. career. And now, now, if you were talking prime LeBron, I would probably say differently. But this is a 34-year-old LeBron as well, and even or 35-year-old, I believe, at this point. And even though he's been playing very good, it's not as if he's going to be able to be, you know, he, he can't take plays off because he's basically the point guard. And there's going to be a lot that's being asked out of him, even though pretty much he's not going to be, you know, he's much more physically frail. I mean, he's not really physically frail, obviously, but compared to what he was in his prime, he's obviously has more to lose from a physical standpoint than a guy like Kawhi and PG who are younger and have a little bit better athleticism despite their injuries. To add that, like, I'm also going with the Clippers just because of the history between, like, how Patrick Beverly plays and how he gets under your skin. Like, he always likes to screw around with, like, LeBron during any single regular season game. So, <laughs> that's true. He's like the Lance Stevenson to LeBron's. Mm-hmm. And also, time. I was about to add, like, um, again, like what you guys mentioned earlier about how Clippers team, it runs pretty deep. But when I think about the Lakers, I think about only LeBron and Anthony Davis. Instead, because I thought coming into the this season, people were saying Kuzma, Kyle Kuzma was going to be the third, third option. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, he comes off the bench now. He's not in a reliable third option to score. Their third best scorer on the team is probably either Danny Green or Avery Bradley. They don't have a reliable third scorer. The clip we haven't even talked about six man Lou Will, who gets twenty points on any given night. You give him the ball, he's a bucky. Or even Montrez Harrell, who was a six man theater candidate finalist actually last year too, who lost his own teammate Lou Will. And also I was like, um the if I were to think about the third person Lakers, I would just think about Alex Caruso. <laughs> That's the goat. He puts them over, over the top. <laughs> the bald mamba. Flip a game on its head, bro. No. <laughs> I hate Alex being so high. Just because he's white. Just because he's bald? Anything. bald oh, and- he, he can jump. White man got hops. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he's a legend. That man can jump. Is he really? No, I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm just like the Lakers. Is like the bench, right? I mean, there's – wait, it's like – I've seen Quinn Cook play. Like, no. No. Oh, no, 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 no. Quentin Chris will probably not get any minutes in the playoffs if we're being real here. I mean, look, he got a deal. He got a sweet deal with the Lakers for the stuff he did with the Warriors. It doesn't I mean, mean – I mean, he never played in the finals with the Warriors either for keeping yeah, it hunting. It just wasn't good. <laughs> like, the I mean, Foster is so stacked that guys like Reggie Jackson and Roddy McGruger and Landry Shamit aren't really, like uh, – guys that are like under top seven or top eight in their rotation like they play those guys in the back end of their bench so to have a, a lineup that deep it's pretty impressive and on paper at least unless LeBron or 80 just absolutely pop off or go insane 
which could be possible because everything can be possible in playoff basketball given the injuries. And we all know anything's really possible to play a basketball versus a 3-1 loss, sadly. But at the end of the day, I think that nine times out of ten, the Clippers are the better team and will win that matchup. Uh, so the way, I, the way I see it is regardless of who you put one and two with LeBron and Kawhi, those are the best two players in the series. And then you could easily say the third, third best player is AD. But after that, four, five, six, seven are probably all on the Clippers. And I think that's what they end up getting the edge on. Well, I won't commit to a winner because you all already literally committed to one. But I think it would be – I think the circumstances changed in regards to COVID-19 and, you know, the whole Disney World kind of tournament here. I think that in a regular playoff format, there is a lot of factors to consider. And I think the biggest three are, you know, talent, injuries, and um, I guess the system, right? It's about how – or also experience, I think. If you're experienced enough, you will be able to get that over the hump, right? With Kawhi yeah. joining the Raptors last year, the Raptors just always look like they got blitzed, basically, by LeBron. But now you add Kawhi, an experienced playoff veteran, and it gets him over the top. But now I want to add another thing into this, right? When you talk about the pandemic and the potential risk factor that there is in all of this, right? I think the biggest thing that will determine who wins this year's finals is basically availability. Who is going to last all the way to the finals? How many people are going to be on the team that could still play? If you already have an eight-man rotation and somehow all eight guys are already healthy and fine, then you will win. I think that's how it goes. And I don't think the most talented team will probably have that complete rotation, completely healthy. There is going to be, there are going to be people that are going to get ill. It's just an inevitability at this point. So it basically stems down to like, who's going to make it to the end. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, the playoffs have always been a war of attrition, but ultimately what's going to be the thing that eliminates the most people is COVID-19 itself. And I think that's why the debates earlier about whether or not the playoffs, whoever wins the playoffs isn't justified, is a, is a well-regarded debate because if you have an external factor that theoretically shouldn't be affecting your play on the basketball court or really a team standing at all take into effect with COVID itself, then how much do you really think that a playoffs would really boost a guy like LeBron's reputation, you know? Because people have been saying LeBron needs to bring a championship to the Lakers to, you know, become the greatest of all time and, you know, finally eliminate those MJ debates. But what do you guys really think about that? And where this championship theoretical, you know, win or loss, what could that do to his legacy? Where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough question because, again, I'm kind of thinking of this season as like an asterisk because with all that's going on and everyone being possibly being unavailable and the breaks from, or what I mean by break is when the regular season had to be put on hold. I don't think this championship would be considered like official because everyone won't be playing at their highest, highest level as well as not playing like, their own like um stadiums and all that yeah and the thing is like again are you really gonna just say like this is the championship 
that the Lakers fans were hoping for. Their entire, like, this is the one that LeBron was supposed to bring to them. Like, under these circumstances. Yeah. No. It just doesn't seem like it's. But the thing, but the, I feel like the big thing is it's not only one or two teams are going are under these circumstances, you know. It's affected everyone evenly, you know, in the sense of, like, no one's playing at home, you know. It's not like everybody, uh, only three teams are going to be at home or something. No one's at home. You know, everybody's going to be playing at a neutral site. Everyone's been affected by this, you know. But maybe if players that are backing out from, you know, big star players are backing out from teams, then maybe that's where the problem becomes. But if every, like I said earlier, if everybody plays healthy and nothing happens, you know, I hope nothing happens to anybody. But yeah. if that's the case, you know, there's no reason that if LeBron goes out, beats the Clippers, beats the Bucks, that they and their Kawhi was there, Giannis was there, that he shouldn't, you know, be considered, you know, this ring is just as serious as any other ring. He's had to beat the best players, and that's always what it's been about, you know. Did you beat the best players getting there? And if you did, you know, why wouldn't it count? Okay, but the thing is, let's say he beats all the best players. We call it a championship. Does it make him the GOAT? No, he got six losses. (laughs) He's lost too much, man. Michael Jordan, six for six with six final MVPs, man. It's impressive he played that many finals. I will add that. But he played in the shit East. <laughs> that is, he yeah. also made the East very uh, look very bad in comparison as well. But okay. Yeah. I mean, the East is bad. The East is pretty bad. I agree with you in the point that LeBron is a great player. And he will probably be top three, right? Oh, of course. I, I think he is definitely top three. One or two. I think point. he's one. I think if he's not one, you know, which is very debatable, a very ongoing discussion of him or MJ, he's he's two. He's not he's not lower than that, you know. When I say he's not the go, I don't mean he's like the seventh best player or anything. He's still a number two, you know. He's still the second best player, the best player of our generations. And definitely. probably the best, gener- best player in the next upcoming 10, 15 years still, you know. And he's going to be, you know, regarded as the GOAT by some and not by others, but if you look at just the people he went up against and people of his time that he's had to compete against, he's better than all of them. And that's undebatable, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I think that he's definitely probably the most complete five-on-five player to ever play the game. In terms of his size, you would never expect someone to have so much skill and strength and speed and agility in basketball like you. I think what stands out to me about LeBron is his basketball IQ and the way he's evolved over his rookie year since 2003. He used to be this high-flying dunker, and now he's basically just an assist guy. He knows his way across defensive schemes and angles and how to basically get buckets in an efficient way. And he's kept up this game through the times in an era where you've seen probably the most evolution of basketball ever since hand-checking was pretty much you know, gone away. And so, basically, I don't think that LeBron will eventually solidify himself against a guy like Michael Jordan. He's already established himself to be a cultural lion, you know, a guy who's pretty much won it all, showed up in basically undoubtedly in, like, the biggest spotlight six times consistently. And I don't think that LeBron will probably ever stack up to that because he's just lost too many times and he's... He's had too many public failures and things that he has to be accountable for. What makes MJ, what will make a player better than MJ ever? Is there a standard that we could get to 
where we could say this man is better than Michael Jordan? I think that it's just based on pure dominance. I think that LeBron definitely had a stronghold on him showing up in the playoffs, but I think that what it takes is to be just so comparatively better than the rest of your peers that it's just undoubtable. Yeah, right? if you because, look at like, if you look at the players in MJ's era, you know, there's so many people without rings. There's Patrick Ewing without a ring, Charles Barkley without a ring. There's Gary Payton who didn't win a ring with the Sonics team. There was Stockton Malone who never won a ring. And you could keep going about all these guys who never won a ring. But if you look at LeBron's era, everybody got theirs. Curry got three, KD <laughs> got two, Kawhi got two, Duncan got two in LeBron's era, or at least, I mean, he's got more, but, you know, in that era, time period, everybody's been able to get there. It's not like LeBron's had that dominance, you know. He's had a, a longevity. If, you know, if you were trying to maybe build around one player, it'd probably be easier with LeBron. He's probably the better, you know, overall basketball player. But because when MJ is dominated and won so much more and still took years off, like the two years in between his three-peats, and then he retired after, you know, there's so many years that he took off and didn't play that could have been more championships, you know. It's just that fact in itself. When he played at his prime and at his peak, he won, and there was no discussion of, like, maybe this guy was better than him, maybe this guy. No, it was Jordan and Jordan alone that was right. I think Jordan, like, during his time – he wouldn't take any days off. He will always consistently grind for the championship compared to now where like, obviously LeBron, he does work hard, but there's those certain cases where like he, he takes like load management and he sits a few games out of the regular season. That's why I kind of prefer having, or I prefer Jordan over LeBron. Just- well, I think to LeBron's uh, credit and credence as well, the pace of NBA play has really sped up over the past few years. And so a game now compared to back then, you have, there's a lot more running. There's, a, there's definitely like maybe not as much physicality, but it's still a very fast-paced game that affects you a lot. And I, over the years, you know, LeBron's been you know, consistently in the class for many years, and there's been a lot of wear and tear on his body. And I'm not saying this to fully discount LeBron, because I do believe that with load management, right, vis-a-vis that, you do have to show up to most of the games and you can't just schedule games off for your own sake of convenience or just wave the white flag at your own, you know, will. I don't think that's like the true quote competitor spirit, but I do understand like the premise behind Roy's going behind that. And in this era where you have a lot faster basketball, and I think something that's also underrated is the fact that the league is way better now talent-wise than it was many years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. In terms of that, though, now let's kind of just we, – let's say that we all agree that LeBron is not MJ and he won't ever overcome MJ. Well, let's get into that. Wait, can he ever overcome MJ? No. No? No. And I don't think anybody will be able to overcome MJ. And here's the reason why. Compared to now versus back then, the talent level in the NBA just overall is much higher over – It's consistently amongst the average player than it was back then the average player what it takes to make it to the nba these days given the spread of the popularity of the game compared to the 90s it's just way higher there's a way higher barrier of entry to make it to the nba and it really takes a lot to shine and be like just that game breakingly good the differential quota between a guy like mj and the average player compared to a guy like lebron and the average nba player they're still pretty high but LeBron versus the average NBA player back in the 90s, there's a way bigger gap 
back then, you're, then there's a gap now between LeBron and the average NBA player. And that's in virtue due to LeBron's and MJ's impact on the game and how they popularize the sport so much to the point where it really takes a lot to become good at the game and, you know, be able to stick around in the league for a long time. I think that, you know, and just one last point to your point, in terms of talent, it has gone to a point where, you know, yes, the popularity of the game is huge now. Think of it. Is there any international star? Did you, could you think of any international star in MJ's time? Like, you got Luka Doncic now, right? Tony Kukos. A lot more. You got Jokic, right? Yeah. So you got people like that. And I don't think you got those kinds of stars back in MJ's time. So yeah. not only... I think, I think what Vivek said was a great point. Is like getting bigger, right? So you got to consider that. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I just don't think anybody can ever dominate an era like LeBron did, or like MJ did and LeBron tried to do. He dominated the East, you know, but he was weaker and all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, the talent level is so high nowadays, you can't just have one person winning. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> this was a great talk, honestly, guys. I think that... It was great to have all these different opinions, even though we all think Jordan's better than LeBron. <laughs> all these different perspectives come along. And it's going to be a great kind of season. I'm looking forward to it, at least. It's better than something, something nothing. Better than nothing. Exactly. Regardless of what happens, I hope it's safe. I hope everyone else is safe. And uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. Yep, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Mm -hmm. Thank you.